Welcome to Unsung Heroes with Johnny, Daniel, James, and Sam. Our goal is to leave no hero unsung. Welcome to the Unsung Heroes podcast. I'm Johnny and I'm here with a few of my friends. We have James. Hello again. We have Samuel. Hey, hey. And we have Daniel. Shalom. Ah, yes. Shalom to you as well, Daniel. <laughs> Thank you, man. <laughs> uh, we can't make fun of it because it's like... I mean, you know, yeah, that's Turkish. That's, that's maybe, Turkish. Maybe yeah. that's... Is that a thing? Like, it's I, not <laughs> Turkish. I'm, oh, I'm kidding. kidding. It's, no, are you uh, kidding me? Oh, man. Oh, that, they, they say that in like so many countries. Well, salam or salam, not shalom. Oh, that's true. I mean, right. it's just a different pronunciation. Yeah, that's, that's also like you say <laughs> well, tomato, yeah, I say I tomato. Like, come yeah. on, bro. <laughs> yeah, Yeah. I, okay. All right. I, I accept defeat. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Did we just convince a Turkish guy that they do say shalom in Turkey? <laughs> no, they don't. They do not. No, whatever, man. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just this kidding. This is the just best thing on. since 1453. Am I right? Hey, oh, hey. Okay, okay. Hey, you, you, don't, you, t- you don't bring 1453 You want to go? We'll fight. We'll fight. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. Let's rein it in, guys. Thank you for joining us today on uh, on the podcast. We'll be talking about a guy named Ignaz Semmelweis, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, you are indeed. Yeah. So Sam, we have uh, we have Sam here to tell us about him. Sam, give us a little bit of a preview. All right. Well, Ignaz Semmelweis, alongside having one of the coolest names we've come across so far, he is a 19th century Hungarian doctor who is considered a pioneer uh, in the medical field. And basically, this is what he's pioneered and what he's really known for. Ignaz Semmelweis developed the idea of washing one's hands. Oh, wow. actually, oh. I think I've I think I've heard of this. I knew there was there was like one influential doctor who did that. I just I just forgot the name. Right, and I, yeah. I can see why you can forget the name. It's right. like, <laughs> especially. Um, if you are not Hungarian, this is not an easy name to pronounce. So I'm thinking we could just call him Ignaz for the time being, or maybe like Iggy or yeah. something. <laughs> <laughs> Iggy. No, so I don't want to. I don't feel comfortable calling him Iggy. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think so. <laughs> no, we'll call him Ignaz. Sure. To clarify, though, before we kind of get into his story, which is just an incredibly fascinating one, he did not come up with the idea of hand washing as like a ritual uh, because that's been around for a long time, like thousands of years. There's been this ritual of washing your hands kind of as a, even as a purification session of whatever. You mean like in a spiritual sense? Yeah, in a spiritual sense or yeah. just kind of. Or general, if you have dirt on your hands, I mean, you right, see yeah. that. Yeah. People kind of had the common sense to get dirt off their hands or if, uh, you know, the term blood on your hands, that was that was around before Semmelweis came up with this idea. But what Ignaz is really known for is he's the guy who developed it into a form of hygiene that we kind of use today. So whenever you come out of the restroom or right before you go and sit down for dinner, you're washing your hands. And we can really thank Ignaz for his contribution in this area. I, wow. I imagine this dystopian past where everyone's really clean, but their hands are filthy and nobody <laughs> understands. Yeah, yeah. Hey, but speaking of which, I want to shout out uh, Samuel here from your last episode on Antonio Meucci. 
those of you who do not know, Antonio Meucci is the true inventor of the early telephone. I, I was talking to Alexa, my, you know, Alexa dot my wife and I have at our home. Uh, as and one does, to just communicate with the robots. <laughs> <laughs> of course. So I'm talking to Alexa and I'm playing this quiz game with her. And she asks me. As one me, does again. <laughs> yes. And she asks me, who invented the telephone? And I kid you not, she had two options. And then the last two options were Antonio Meucci and Alexander Graham Bell. Triggered. And, and I answered with confidence, having had our podcast episode together, Antonio Meucci. And she said it was wrong. Oh my and I kid you not, ah. I was so angry. I just started flipping out. My wife's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, how dare she do this? <laughs> Amazon, you have some explaining to do. But yeah. then get this. Yeah, so Mr. Then I, Bezos, I, please get on. Please. <laughs> I finished the game. And then I ask Alexa, Alexa, who invented the telephone? And she says the telephone was invented by contributors such as Alexander Graham Bell and Antonio Meucci. Oh, she says both. She says both. Oh. So there's a little <laughs> conflict there, but at least his name's out there at least more. But I thought That's it was true. interesting. We talked about that. Wow. Maybe yeah. maybe Alexa listened to the podcast and decided to add him to the... <laughs> That's However, what I'm wondering. Due to yeah. the Unsung Heroes episode. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is sponsored by... Alexa. <laughs> Disclaimer, that's not actually the case. No, but, yeah. yeah, it's not. No, <laughs> it's not. We we say stuff like that a lot. None of these episodes are sponsored, just so yeah. you guys know. Yeah. But they could be. <laughs> <laughs> insert insert free sponsor real estate. here. Yeah. Well, it's not free real estate. You would have to pay well, for yeah, the you're sponsorship right. a little bit. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, anyway. But thank you for that shout out. Yeah, thanks. And uh, and we're excited to hear about uh, Ignaz Semmelweis today as well from you, Sam. Yeah, I am looking forward to it. I should preface this that he developed the idea of washing one's hands for a reason. So if you are a listener today who's kind of a little squeamish or a little queasy at times, there are some moments here that might not necessarily be uh, for the faint of heart in the sense that there were some pretty gross things going on. So, Listener discretion advice. If we hear Daniel stop talking all of a sudden in the podcast, we'll know he's just, yeah, he's just pa- yeah. passed out. <laughs> you just hear... yeah i'm okay it shouldn't be too bad but i i do feel like i should throw that out and just say this will be a little bit more gruesome than we're used to at times yeah well thanks for the uh the uh disclaimer there yeah um yeah so why don't you go ahead and get into it can you tell us how you come up with this guy honestly it was just from doing some online research and uh coming across a list of like medical pioneers and his name, so initially, like, his name threw me off, and maybe this was bad of me, but I kind of immediately dismissed it because I'm like, how can I, pron- like, how could I even pronounce this guy's name, <laughs> much less do an episode on him? But I started reading about him and seeing that he developed this idea of hand washing and just coming to the realization that there was a time in history where people did not wash their hands. That just blew me away. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like... It's such a common part of our routine that we just, we go to the bathroom or we, right before dinner or breakfast or whatever, we're washing our hands all the time. So I never once have I wondered, why on earth am I doing this? Or like, when did we start doing this? So... Yeah, it seems like it seems like such common sense, right? Like, right. We, we we grow up hearing about the millions of bacteria that exist on our bodies 
And mm. so we're like, oh yeah, it makes sense to wash your hands because you know you're going to be handling food. You're going to be right. sticking them in their in your mouth. You know, especially if you're a kid, you like stick your fingers in your mouth all the time. So you're just taught wash your hands, wash your hands. Mm. And so one important thing to recognize as well is this story that I'm about to tell you. All of this took place before the theory of germs was ever brought up right. to oh, people's wow. attention. The microscope was probably still pretty early. Yeah. Like people were talking about it and it's been around for a little while, but nobody knew what germs were at all. So Samuel, I'm sure you're going to get to this, but um, did this have a lot to do with the microscope and our ability to see things for what they really were? No, it, it did not actually have to do with the microscope. Um, huh. Even actually... Ignaz, at the end of his life, he still didn't know about germ theory. Wow. Huh. Yeah, I'll explain as we go along kind of what led him to this hand-washing process. But this entire story takes place outside of the context of learning about germs. Wow. Imagine trying to convince somebody to wash their hands without knowing germs exist. <laughs> right. I just feel like there's these little small things everywhere. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> no. It's just all over your hands, right? It's just all over you. Yeah. <laughs> But to jump into the story, uh, just to kind of give you guys the context. So we've talked about this, that people didn't know about germ theory. So that wasn't a thing. Uh, the other big thing that we need to know about where Ignaz was living. So he was in Hungary. Uh, he At this point, it would have been um, Austria. So he's living in Austria. And the big issue that's going on in Europe from a medical perspective, during this time, one in six mothers were dying in childbirth. Oh, Yikes. Wow. Yeah. What time period was this? Uh, we're going to be in the mid-1800s. So okay. the majority of this story takes place in the 1840s, from about 1844 to 1846. Gotcha. Uh, okay. So mid-1840s, the problem is one in six uh, mothers are dying in childbirth. That, that number sometimes ranged uh, in more public spaces. That was a little bit higher. Like it jumped up to 20 or 30% at some times. And in some places, it was lower, so about 15%. But typically, one in every six mothers were dying in childbirth. So even uh, mid Middle Ages done some work there. and um, You've done work in the Middle Ages? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude. <laughs> what I mean by that is I've excavated a Middle Ages site. And oh, oh. so many child graves that we find. And I think the stats for the Middle Ages, particularly around this time, which also would have been concurrent with the Black Plague, possibly, was like one in four, I think. So it even gotten better from what it used to be. Right. Just crazy wow. to think about. Right. Wow. But to clarify here, we are talking about the the mothers actually dying in childbirth. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. Yeah. The issue that was going on with the mothers, a lot of them were dying from this very similar illness that they called childbed fever. Huh. And to explain what that is, it's basically uh, an infection that would happen after the women gave birth. And what it would do is cause a fever and then chills, abdomen pain. And uh, eventually, within a few days, it would lead to roughly 20% of women dying after a few days after giving birth. Wow. And unfortunately, this is, this is where it gets a little gruesome. The primary way that this infection was treated during this time was by bleeding the patients. Yeah. yeah. Oh. yeah. Wow. Every time I hear that, I'm just like, okay, I cannot deal with this right now. It was just a really, really tragic time. Like, just imagine the effect that's going to have on a society where one out of every six mothers die. It's mind-boggling to think about. Does this come back, Samuel, to the classical idea? I don't know if you've looked into this or not, but I know there was this idea all the way from Greek and, and Roman periods that we had to balance the body's fluid. So you right. had like bile, 
blood and then something else i forgot exactly and you, you had to kind of put all of these things in balance and this is what made you healthy so their yeah. idea was by letting out blood you're kind of letting out this impurity yeah. but also this imbalance in your internal body fluids it's a very interesting idea they had i think it's called the four humors yes yeah that's it yeah so that was exactly what was going on that was huh. still a pretty popular belief at the time in the four different humors is what they were called and by bleeding the patients that's when they would kind of bring balance and um unfortunately yeah that didn't work at all yeah yeah just to anyone listening thinking they're taking notes uh just, just go ahead and scratch that one that's not true yeah uh, <laughs> i would not recommend taking notes if you're trying to learn from yeah. a medical perspective just don't take notes on this episode i don't think well, anyone is but but historians can take notes oh historian please take notes <laughs> oh, yes <laughs> Hopefully they already know about that one, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like, I thought this theory was right the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so that's the society uh, Ignaz is born in. To give you some background on him, he was born in 1818 in the city of Buda, which if you hear that, it should remind you of Budapest. That's the city nowadays. Um, yep. They combined later in the 1870s to form Buda and Pest to create Budapest. So I've been to oh. Budapest, and it is funny how that distinction still kind of exists oh, a little bit. Oh, it's definitely still yeah, there. Yeah, but now it's more of kind of the Soviet Union took half of the city, and the Nazis had the other half yeah. for a while. And one half is kind of more European a little bit, Western European. The other half's kind of a little more like Soviet And looking. we're back to World War II. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and we got it. there. It always comes back. <laughs> That's really interesting, though. Yeah. That was really cool. So he's born in the city of Buda in 1818. After doing some schooling, he traveled to the University of Vienna, became a doctor. By 1844, he had obtained his degree. So after getting his medical degree, he uh, was appointed as an assistant in an obstetric clinic in Vienna. So obstetricians, just to let you know if you're not aware of what that is, that's a, that's a person who works in childbirth mm -hmm. and like helps uh, mothers and childbearing and so midwifery kind of in that whole realm of thinking i love midwifery it's a, such a yeah. it's a fun word to say yeah. <laughs> so naturally if you are working as an obstetrician during this day you are starting to notice that a lot of moms are dying just kind of comes with the job you kind of realize that so ignaz he begins to ask the question, this childbed fever that's going rampant, can it be cured? That's his big question that he poses to people. And this was fascinating to me. The research said that many of the colleagues denied this vehemently. They said, this is an incurable disease. We just have to live with this. I guess which makes sense given the fact that history's always been that way, right? And it's just kind right, of, a, yeah. it's a, for them, it's a part of childbirth. It's like there's a whole lot of risk involved. So yeah. the idea that there's something that could be cured, you know, it's almost like us saying, oh, you know, you don't actually have to have pain during childbirth. And we'd be right. like, wait, yeah. what? Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> if you just wash your feet, you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. But Ignaz is not satisfied with that kind of assertion that this is just something that we have to live with. So in 1846, he's placed in charge of two divisions within his medical clinic in Vienna, one of which is a medical clinic that's run primarily by male doctors, and the other uh, division in the clinic is run by midwives. Mm -hmm. So he begins to investigate into the deaths of the mothers in these clinics, just starting to learn some more about this, the statistics, trying to figure it out. And so he starts by counting the number of deaths in each division. 
just to figure out like a general baseline of, okay, how many people are coming in here and dying of this childbed fever so he can get to the root of the issue? Here's what he learned. The number of deaths at the doctor's division, so the all-male doctor's portion of this clinic, was about 15%, which was surprisingly nearly five times higher than the midwife's division, Hmm. which was at 2%. Wow. Wow. Man, my wife's going to love this episode. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. So, James, so James's wife Emily is what is she still like yeah, tra- so, training or So, my wife is is working on the process of becoming a doula and that that basically it's not a midwife, but it's somebody who's like an emotional physical support to a woman throughout her labor process and childbirth and then afterwards. But we were doing a lot of research on the you know, just the scientific and medical reasonings and advantages and some things behind being a doula and what the kind of scientific consensus is. Well, one, the evidence for being a doula, of course, is very positive. A lot of hospitals encourage that kind of thing. But one thing we noticed is that we were looking at midwifery in particular, and you guys know that the lowest death rate of any country in the world for childbirth is Sweden, actually. And Sweden Every baby born in Sweden is done pretty much by midwifery, and it's oh. only if there's a medical hmm. reason that's actually a danger do they bring in doctors. Interesting. So we found we found that very interesting. And it makes sense, of course, because giving birth is not really a medical issue until it becomes one. Right? We kind of treat it baseline as like, oh, it's a medical problem to give birth. So that's kind of some of their reasoning behind it. So I thought it was very interesting. Well, I got a question for y'all. What do you call a Middle Eastern man who helps a lady throughout her pregnancy? Is this a joke? It sounds like a setup for a joke. <laughs> and Abdullah. <laughs> uh, it is a joke. That's awful. That's it, because Abdullah, but Abdullah, which is a Middle Eastern name. Especially because Ab means father. So you're like the father. Father woman of- helper. Oh, there's, there's a deep, deeper joke there. Even. Yeah. Wow. You're, you're welcome for that. Enlightening yeah. joke. Thanks. Thanks, Daniel. <laughs> Shalom to you. <laughs> God, come on, man. <laughs> we did not say that. <laughs> That's officially a thing now. <laughs> so, okay, if you're Ignaz at this point, you're obviously going to realize something is going on right in the midwives division while the doctors must be doing something wrong. That seems kind of reasonable. Otherwise, like, if it was just true across the board that it was 15%, you, you realize if there's a discrepancy, something must be going wrong. I guess it also helped him see that if it was 2% with them, that means it can be that, right? Right, right. exactly. So there, there's a yeah, different yeah. metric to measure oneself by, I guess. Yeah, yeah exactly. I guess it gives him more ground to challenge the thinking that it was inevitable for that many women to die. If he can say, well, the midwives are doing something different and that's, you know, it's not inevitable. Right. Yeah, exactly. It, it gives him kind of a hope and recognition that this isn't this incurable disease that everybody's been talking about. So if you're Ignaz at this point, what do you think you would start doing? Employing a lot more midwives. <laughs> Becoming a midwife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you, you have to find the reason for it. I mean. Yeah, I think right. like kind of going like studying what each person is doing each yeah. time and then like yeah, see how they're the different yeah, observation right. yeah so that's exactly what he starts doing is he starts looking at the differences between the two clinics and starts seeing like how do the midwives deliver the babies as compared to the doctors uh, just to kind of see the different variables that are going on and try to make the the doctor's clinic look more like the midwife's clinic that's what he starts doing he starts looking at the two clinics uh, so the first thing he observes at the midwives clinic is that women were giving birth on their sides, 
Mm. While at the doctor's clinic, uh, they were just giving birth on their backs, kind of the traditional model we see today. I feel like I'm going to have to keep butting in and giving like random birth facts that I really shouldn't know, but because my wife is (laughs) learning this stuff. (laughs) Uh, Apparently, giving birth on your back is like one of the most uncomfortable, painful ways to do it normally. Now, I don't know. I'm a guy, but... I mean, it's, it's kind of interesting. I think we're learning really quick that the midwives have this all together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, of course, there's exceptions. But yeah, there seems to be a lot right. of intuitive stuff they're doing. That makes sense. Yeah. But he notices that difference. And so he asks the doctors to have their patients moved uh, to their sides rather than being on their backs uh, how they had been before. And the result is that nothing changes. The right. women are still being diagnosed with this childbed fever, and this death rate is still remaining really pretty high, unfortunately. It's like hmm. checkbox, right? That's one check, not that. So <laughs> Yeah, so you can cross that off the list as that's not the reason. So he looks, and at the doctor's division, this one's fascinating. At the doctor's division, whenever a woman would die from childbed fever, a priest would come through the division and would ring a bell, kind of alerting everyone that there's just been a woman who has passed away. And they didn't do that at all at the midwives division. They, they are not for the bell ringing business in, in any sense. So he came up with this hypothesis that the women who heard the bell were being scared to death. And that they would be so scared by the bell that they break into a fever. Literally. <laughs> yeah. that, honestly, like just just looking at the facts, having that amount of medical knowledge they had, that's not a bad hypothesis. I mean, right, yeah. Yeah, I guess it probably will do this, right? Imagine you know about this bell and you're giving birth and all of a sudden you hear a bell ring. I mean, that's going to like, it's going oh, yeah, to yeah, turn yeah, on your yeah, fight, yeah. flight or fight response. Yeah. It's not. It's not just, oh, it's a bell. It's. This means someone just died doing something that I just did. Yeah. And you hear it 15% of the time. <laughs> Bring out like, you did. Yeah. Okay. It's like, it's like that. Yeah. Yeah. And so with a lot of these things, you, in hindsight, you're like, okay, that's ridiculous. But when you're in that time period, I'm sure that is not the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard. In fact, there's a lot of plausibility to it. Like if I, if I were giving birth, I would not want to hear a bell ringing for somebody's death yeah i know right um <laughs> very interesting i love how we're like three dudes talking about like our hypothetical childbirth yeah. hold scenario. on where's johnny yeah i'm wait why did you assume i was the one being left <laughs> out <there? laughs> sorry I, there's like three icons on our podcast software so i yeah. forgot to mention those four of us of course but yeah right <laughs> yeah i'm sure all the women who are listening are like you have you have no right to speak about this right. <laughs> that's right yeah So here's another interesting that happens during this time when he's doing his investigation into the differences. People in the area are beginning to hear that the midwives division had a much lower mortality rate. So if you hear that the midwives division has a a mortality rate of 2% compared to 15%, you would be completely foolish to go to the doctor's. Yeah, that's what I was actually just thinking that like as soon as you said that the midwives had a much lower rate of death, I was like, well, if like if the public knew about that, then why would anybody go to the doctors? Right. Right. So, I mean, this is this becomes a problem like it becomes like a very crowded place. And what was originally intended, the midwives were intended for kind of the lower class of people who weren't necessarily able to go into the the full doctor's clinic or the doctor's division they would kind of give it to the the lower class uh, sometimes prostitutes would go into the the midwives division 
But what's happening now is everybody's going to the midwives division. And the doctors, yeah. I mean, if you're a doctor at that point, you are going to be incredibly frustrated. So Ignaz is right along with them. He's incredibly frustrated by his lack of answers. He can't figure this out. Yeah, I can't imagine because it's not just like he's trying to get this project done, but the, fir- the the longer it takes for him, the more women keep dying. Right, yeah. So I'm sure he's really feeling the pressure because to us, it's just like, oh, he tried this, check, nope, tried this, check. But yeah. I'm sure he was you know, haunted by that. Yeah, there's a lot of pressure on him to try to figure this out and a lot of pressure that he's putting on himself, I'm sure. But <laughs> so this is what he does. He's frustrated by his lack of answers. So what does he do? He goes on a vacation. Well, never mind. He is not haunted at Doesn't all. Doesn't sound like he's pressured very much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. But he goes and then he comes back. And when he comes back, he unfortunately receives news that a fellow doctor and a friend of his who was also working in the clinic had recently died. Mm. Which, of course, was very unfortunate. But it, this would also become a really important part to what he would discover. So... He eventually found what would be the cause of this fever by looking into his friend's death. So this is how his friend died. The doctor had been performing an autopsy on a woman who had died of childbed fever. That was a common practice during this day, apparently, was the doctors would uh, do autopsies on their patients if they had died. But during the autopsy, this doctor, this friend of Ignaz, got a cut on his hand and he died of childbed fever. So immediately, what does that tell you about makes, childbed fever? It makes a pretty fever? strong connection. It's right? not, yeah. I mean, it's like, it's contagious through the blood is what it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, and it's like an infection. It's not just a woman gets it because she gave birth if a man yeah. right. dies of it as well. Right, exactly. This isn't just an issue for pregnant women. It isn't just like for the childbed in a sense. This is something that could happen to anyone. And he also realizes that this is an infection that can be transmitted from one person to another. Uh, So this isn't just like some issue that's going on just in the doctor's clinic. This is something that is apparently passed from one to another. Yeah, and when you consider the amount of, you know, your cut cutting happens, blood, it gets gets messy, right? Childbirth could be that way sometimes. So he probably makes a connection. Well, these bodily fluids are being transferred through contact. Of course, the same thing can happen in childbirth, right? Yeah. Yeah. At this point, this is when Ignaz uh, fully comes to the kind of epiphany, the realization of what's going on. Uh, So before I tell you kind of the answer to this little mystery that Ignaz has, I want to ask you, uh, just you don't have all the information right now, but kind of just give your best guess. Why do you think the mortality rate was much higher at the doctors than with midwives? Because they didn't wash their hands. Why (laughs) why were the midwives doing that, though, I wonder? Because we don't know what the midwives were doing. In totality. So perhaps there was something that was causing them to engage in more hygienic behavior. I don't know. Yeah, that's true. Um, Or it could be that the doctors were doing something that was less hygienic. Mm, Because recognize that neither the doctors nor the midwives were washing their hands at this point. Okay, okay. Oh. Yeah, neither of them were, were washing their hands. Um, so what, All right, huddle, so, huddle up guys. What so do think? we're, so we're like trying to figure this out. Okay. Imagine yeah, I want to s- see if you can answer the mystery of I, we've, the we've talked about, rate. and it doesn't, it doesn't just have to do with them being on their side or their back. Right? No, it doesn't. Um, <laughs> well, it's, yeah, it's something about hygiene. It does have to do with hygiene. Okay. What, what would the doctors use? That's less hygienic. Maybe they were like using leeches or something crazy or, right? or like their, their instruments, like their, I don't know. Maybe like, they're dipping them in like. 
I don't know. <laughs> Something uh, nasty. Other, other patients in, <laughs> in whiskey. Oh, oh. painkillers. <laughs> Maybe they're using surgical instruments on multiple patients and midwives wouldn't use surgical instruments. Well, these are all good guesses, but Gosh, yeah, Sam, no, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to give up. So Sam, no, I'm not. No. <laughs> Johnny, a day will come when we will give up, but today is not that day. The longest episode is just going through all the guesses. Yeah, I, did, I just don't want to take the whole episode doing this. <laughs> well, I can go ahead and tell you this answer. What I'll do is I will give you the daily schedule of a doctor during this day or during this time. If you're in the audience... Close your eyes unless you're you're driving. <laughs> close your or eyes. doing anything else important. Yeah. <laughs> Fair. You guys, you can close your eyes or not. I couldn't tell. Johnny has okay, his eyes so open. What, so what is it, Sam? <laughs> so that preamble is unnecessary. It was a waste of time. <laughs> no. All right. So you're a doctor. Just imagine yourself a doctor. The first thing you do when you get to work is you do not go to deliver the babies. What you would do if you went to work is you would go to the morgue to perform an autopsy on the previous people who had died of childbed fever. Oh. Oh. Oh, no. Red flag, guys. Red flag. (laughs) Your first stop for the day is to go and perform an autopsy. Then, after you finish the autopsy, you would go to the clinic to go and deliver babies. Oh, that's nasty. Yeah. And do you see what's missing in between those two steps? (laughs) Washing your hands. Nice dab of Germex, baby. That's what they needed. (laughs) So, yeah. I feel like even if you don't know about that stuff, I don't know, it doesn't make sense to go to an autopsy and then childbirth, (laughs) which I guess I can't divorce myself of the knowledge. Right. That we have today. Yeah, and like germ theory wasn't a thing, so they didn't know that there were organisms being transferred from one Mm -hmm. body to another. Yeah, that's fair. But still, I mean... If only they were Jewish, man. <laughs> Just the idea of like, you can't, t- can't, can't touch a dead corpse, you know? And should I transfer? I was like, is un- this un- another uh, Shalom Shalom <laughs> Sorry, Daniel, I just came back again. <laughs> You're trying a little too hard here, Jason. <laughs> well, Shalom to you too, James. <laughs> I, I just mean, you know, the uncleanliness of touching dead corpses, you know? They wouldn't have right, even, yeah. yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Can we open up our eyes? Yet? Yeah, you can open your eyes now. But the, okay. the, the midwives would not do any autopsies. So the midwives were not doing autopsies at all. Oh. Mm. Uh, so Ignaz, even at this point, though, he, he still doesn't know germ theory. But he does kind of understand that the doctors must be doing something to transfer, like, uh, deadly particles from the dead bodies onto their patients. So kind of comes up with this idea that basically germ theory before germ theory existed that there were particles that were going on to their hands that they were transferring to the women as they were delivering the children Hmm. so he immediately he comes up with this idea to tell his doctors uh, and as well as the midwives uh, to remove the particles from their hands using chlorine soap and water Uh, if you don't know this about chlorine apparently Chlorine is the best disinfectant we know, at least one of the best disinfectants we know of uh, that we use. Makes sense Mm. why it's in pools then, I guess. Yeah, that is why it's in pools. Uh, But this is is kind of the funny thing. Remember, he doesn't know what germ theory is. And the reason he added chlorine to this kind of concoction that he was developing, it wasn't because it was in disinfected. It was because of its smell. Huh. Because people during this day, they thought that disease spread through smell. So he thought that if he could get rid of the smell of the, on the hands, 
that would actually help get rid of the disease. Which I guess inadvertently, kind of an indirect way, that does make sense even right, today because yeah. oftentimes, you know, things that we touch that are still on our hands give off an odor. So if you get yeah. off everything, good and bad, you're definitely going to get rid of the bad. You know what I mean? So right, that's yeah. interesting. That's yeah. True, yeah, exactly. So yeah, that's kind of what his his thought behind that is. But he starts telling his doctors to start doing this, to start like washing their hands and going through this process of uh, disinfecting their hands every single time they work with a patient. And as soon as Ignaz starts telling his doctors to do this, this is incredible. The mortality rate drops from about 20% to less than 2%. Wow. There you go. You go from like one in every six women dying of childbed fever to only one in 50. Wow. So he introduces this method. And even there was at one point within the year of him doing this method, there was a two-month span where the mortality rate was zero in both departments, which was the first time that had ever happened. It's amazing. So how fast did this information get out there, Samuel? And what did he have to do to get it in the broader scientific and global community? Well, that's that's what we will actually come to next. And this is where it gets very unfortunate and very, honestly, very shocking and very surprising. Because how do you think the doctors would respond to this discovery? Well, I mean... Knowing people. Yeah. I mean, n- yeah. Well, okay, f- first of well, all... Well, you wouldn't be asking this if it was a positive yeah. response. <laughs> right, yeah, you right. just told me it was tragic, so... <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> First of all, you can't like, I mean, if you look at the facts of it went down from one in five to one in 50, you know, if you think logically about it, okay, we should all start doing this. You would think people would accept it and start doing it. Right. Uh, But I'm assuming that's not the case. You would assume that's what should happen. That's not what happened. Oh, did not see that coming. (laughs) I surprised you. Instead of praising the discovery, the, the doctors in Vienna, they rejected the idea. Why? It's, it's cold, hard facts. It's, the numbers don't lie. Wrong. Well, I would agree with you. Um, well, thanks for the political commentary, James. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to, um, to help you a little bit in this understanding, apparently Ignaz was not very tactful in his attempt to persuade his people uh, to do this. <laughs> he would call the doctors like murderers and like... Horrific Ooh. people just for not following this procedure. Got to use tact, boys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, honestly, that's like eighty percent of the battle is being a persuasive person. Exactly. Yeah. This episode is sponsored by Grammarly. Make sure you <laughs> use the correct words. No, what was our our idea from the Admiral Yi episode to like? <laughs> oh yeah, the messenger. The thing. messenger. The messenger. <laughs> oh, like change yeah. your language to make it more acceptable and right. tactful. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. If there are any developers, like app developers in our audience, please talk to us. So, so when you want to tell your fellow doctors that they're murderers, it'll come out, <laughs> please use soap. <laughs> but yeah, he had a bad habit of calling his fellow doctors mass murderers. And uh, if you're called a mass murderer by somebody, you're not going to like them. Uh, so nobody liked him. He was apparently just very rude and uh, did not have a good understanding of how to persuade people. There are just a lot of implications from both of these, from the doctor's perspective and from Ignaz's perspective. Because the doctors, think about this. You are just told that you are responsible for the deaths of most of these women. 
immediately there, there's going to be a surge of guilt and probably a blow to your pride. Yeah, very well, defensive. And, yeah. and like a bunch of indignation, like, how dare you? I'm I'm right. the doctor here. I, I'm the one saving them. Right. right, exactly. And along with that, this is something that was completely novel. Nobody really understood what he was saying. Because, I mean, hand washing is like a pouring water over your hands is the ritual that we talked about earlier. But to disinfect... Like, what does that even mean to these people? Again, without germ theory, like I, the idea of disinfecting is not even a thing. Like, right, yeah. exactly. Like, you're like soap. What is that doing? Like, it's not doing yeah. anything. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know. On one hand, I feel like, I mean, of course, the doctor should have listened to him because you should have just looked at the statistics. But Ignaz, come on, guy. Like, why? Why are you doing this? And why are you? I don't know. Why are you not being more tactful in your your approach? It's like a classic display of someone who's really good at something but just lacks either the social skills or something else to really make it happen. Well, I, I imagine he was really desperate, right? He's really desperate to get them to, yeah. uh, to adopt this new practice. So I think that's what drives him to be so bold and what he's like. He's hmm. t- saying they're murderers. He's like, right. he's trying to be convincing. But uh, yeah, but yeah. it's not working. <laughs> it's almost like sometimes when we we see something that's so obvious to us, it makes us really frustrated when others don't get it. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's this tendency to yeah. kind of just get exacerbated and you know wonder well, how could you not see this? Are you stupid? You know, it's just interesting how we yeah we do yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. So for Ignaz, this this situation does not end well for him uh, because. After several years of going back and forth with the doctors, the physician community basically just kind of shunned him and they decided they were using it for a little bit, but they decided just to stop using the procedure altogether. Jeez. Um, oh, come on. And he was, he was eventually dismissed from his role in Vienna and he moved back to his hometown, uh, Budapest, and, um, or uh, he went to Pest actually. Um, and he took over at a doctor's clinic there. And within a five-year span, he had only eight women die of childbed fever oh, wow. in his clinic. Again, it proves its effectiveness, yeah. Yeah, that's, so that's less than 1% in that, in that clinic. Um, and he started passing it around to the region. Uh, and in, in Pest, in Budapest, I believe, the mortality rate for women was down to like 2%. Whereas in Vienna, it was still up there high 15 20%. Just looking at the numbers, that's just incredible. Like one simple procedure would have that much of an effect on mm-hmm. an entire city. But uh, of course, Ignaz, the uh, master communicator that he is, uh, tries to make his ideas known throughout Europe. And everybody he talks to, he manages to call them a murderer and <laughs> he's rejected by everyone. It's kind of, well, I also imagine somebody trying to tell me this new piece of scientific or medical information it, that, that is so simple, but so revolutionary. So for example, right. if today somebody developed the cure for cancer, but it was as simple as wipe your nose or something, you know, <laughs> right, it's yeah. like, what are you talking about? You're a lunatic. Like cancer has been around for so long. We have no idea how, what it is or like how to cure it. And you're just telling me it's a simple thing. Like you're, you're hmm. a quack. You know what I'm I mean? sure we'd like yeah. call it a pseudoscience. Yeah. Initially, it just doesn't seem that simple. That's exactly what was going on. 
he was passing these ideas to the medical community. He went to Germany um, at one point and he presented it to a board of doctors that were pretty well-known and well-respected. This was a big issue. He was denied at that at that German kind of medical council. Mm. That definitely did not help his idea to spread throughout Europe because he didn't get the reputed defense that he really needed. So to kind of sum up the end of his life, unfortunately, in 1861, uh, he started to develop a mental breakdown. Uh, some people think he had Alzheimer's or some other kind of mental disease or whatever is going on, but he was placed in an insane asylum. Oh, man. Oh, man. And we know from the Nellie Bly episode that an insane asylum during these years is probably not the place you want to be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the one she was in was in New York, but uh, I imagine the even pr- the where the principal he is. probably was still yeah. transferred. Right. Yeah. So it probably wasn't very sanitary either. But to kind of give you the end of his life, in 1865, uh, he died at the age of 47. And this is this is the tragic part. He died tried to, trying to escape the insane asylum. Oh, oh And so sad. he was caught and he was beaten for trying to escape. And during the fight, tragic irony, he received a scratch on his hand that became infected. Oh, man. man. Oh, no. So he goes his entire life fighting against infections and ends up being killed probably because of the insanitary conditions and the fight that leads to a scratch on his hand infecting him and eventually uh, entering his bloodstream and killing him. That's so sad. Yeah, that's... That has to be the saddest death we've had in this podcast. Yeah, the most... I, oh, I don't know. Yeah. It it is a very tragic irony, but yeah. it's also. I mean, he was so young too. Like I, yeah. I would have thought that he would have, you know, live live longer than that. Yeah. No. I'm reading and doing this research, and I, I just like, you just have to feel for this guy. Oh yeah. man, that's just wow. We got to make sure his story lives on. I mean, that's seriously yeah, yeah. like people need to know about it, those that, those germs yeah. were fighting back against him. That's <laughs> right. They were like. Shh. Yeah. yeah, don't tell people. Yeah, don't Seriously. tell people about us. But yes, unfortunately, this is this is probably one of the more tragic stories we'll come across. And, and think about it nowadays. Like this is such a common part of our routine that yeah. it's almost unthinkable to live in a day and age where this isn't a common occurrence. Yeah, even yeah, the idea, really the idea of surgery itself is almost like impossible to the degree that we do it now without this idea of sanitation and. Right. That's amazing. We probably live in the most sanitized or sanitary world that we've ever known. And a lot of that has to do with this guy and what he contributed. Hey, so I have a question for you, Sam. Yeah. So after he died, obviously, we developed this hygiene that we have now. Mm Mm-hmm. Did the hospitals and doctors later attribute it to him or did like somebody else make the same discovery? That, that is a very good question. Um, so what I'm aware of is there were other scientists who kind of uh, came after him, actually only a few decades after his death, uh, and kind of developed along in these ideas. Um, so there's a guy named Louis Pasteur, who you might have heard of, who came up with the idea of pasteurization Mm -hmm. oh yeah he was a big uh 
influence in this idea of germ theory. Uh, he's kind of noted for that. Yeah, because raw raw milk, you know, people used to just drink it raw. Right, actually, yeah. is we actually can be very fatal. Yeah. So pasteurization was a huge success in not only you know making it commercial, but also health reasons. You right. know, it, it's I always thought pasteurization had to do with a pasture. You know, like you had cows <laughs> on a pasture. I don't know why <laughs> I, I thought that. So. That makes so much more sense. If now you, that I think if you about leave it. the milk in a, out in a field, <laughs> <laughs> it becomes Get pasteurized. The sheep to it. <laughs> yeah, only the greenest of pastures can do this. <laughs> so. Louis Pasteur is a part of that. There were other scientists who came along and actually looked at Ignaz's work, and they actually did credit him and used him as kind of evidence for their theories. Mm. I don't know how much she was connected to it, but Florence Nightingale was also a big proponent of washing hands and sanitization. So I don't know how well those two were connected, but I definitely know she was a part of that. Uh, And then eventually viruses and bacteria were discovered and kind of proved what these guys were saying beforehand to be true. Yeah. So. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like he was credited, but there were also a lot of other people who were kind of affirming what he was already saying. Yeah. So I think we have pasteurization, obviously named after uh, pasture. I think we should call hand washing uh, semmelweising. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so gonna do that from now on. Oh, I'm semmelweising. Go semmelweise your hands, man. See, I'll, one day I'll teach my kids to do this, so they won't know the difference. I'll yeah. be like, "Go semmelweise your hands, children," and they'll have to do it. <laughs> they'll never know the difference. In the future, when James is a German male, <laughs> yeah, I don't know where the accent came from, but uh, go semmelweise. <laughs> well, Ignaz Semmelweis was indeed. Semmel wise. Oh, oh. that was, so, was worse than your Abdul one, dude. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Darn it. No, but Sam, thanks for sharing yeah, the story. Because honestly, I, I'm shocked by the amount of, of our heroes who live towards 70s, 80s and just kind of die off very, right. you know, in their old age, live a long life. So it's, yeah, it's sad to hear of a guy who died, not just not getting the recognition but also not being able to change the world immediately the way he wanted to yeah. and die that ironic death. The ironic <laughs> death. That's the, the part that gets me. Yeah. Yeah. Just a really unfortunate ending to a really cool story. Honestly, I will say after learning about this story over the past few days, I cannot stop thinking about it when I wash my hands. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm like, mm, it's true. wow. You mean you mean when you semmelweis? <laughs> oh yes. When <laughs> there I, we go. <laughs> when I go through the process of semmelweisation. <laughs> this this can be on our mer- our merch, guys. <laughs> I'm just I'm still imagining a bunch of milk on a, some pasture somewhere. Just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm sorry about that one. It will become our new favorite pastime to semmelweis. Yeah, so our audience, whenever you're washing your hands in a public restroom, look to the person next to you and say, Semmelweis, and tell them about this this podcast. (laughs) Spread the word. Good good Semmelweis to you, sir. (laughs) Shalom. Semmelweis. (laughs) Um, Oh, man, I got myself. uh, Wow. Yeah, but we need to, I don't know, we need to make a t-shirt that says like, I like to Semmelweis. <gasps> this is In the great. Semmelweis gang or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so, okay. Yes, everyone stay tuned. We will have this move. With like, with like a faucet Copyright. and yeah, like a yeah, bar yeah. of soap. <laughs> that's great. Man, yeah. thanks so much, Samuel. Yeah, absolutely. We need to start posting signs 
like during flu season saying make sure to semovice and yes. <laughs> and I drink only from the pastures. All the pasteurized water. Yeah, <laughs> pasteurized milk. Drink yeah. from the pastures and semovice your hands. That's the way we got to do it. Uh, well, anyway, thanks so much, Sam, for uh, yeah. doing all that research there. And uh, um, yeah, I mean, it's a, such an interesting story, especially to you know, something that's so common today to, to learn where it came from and how it was popularized. Yeah, no, I've definitely enjoyed this. This is, it's been a good episode. Yeah, for sure. And uh, we'll definitely be working on a song about it and that should play uh, in a few seconds. So stay tuned for that. You can hit us up on our Instagram, uh, the Unsung Heroes podcast and our Facebook. We have the same thing. Uh, we'll, we, you know, we post about our upcoming episodes and stuff like that. So you can check those out and, uh, yeah, stay tuned for more songs and episodes and bro time. That's right. <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah, shalom to you. So <laughs> shalom, <laughs> shalom, shalom. Uh, yeah. A- anything else guys? Wash your hands. Semmelweiss. <laughs> Great. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, guys, and we'll see you on the next one. Goodbye. Bye-bye. When the status quo fails with mothers and children's pain, ignores will not cease or settle for less when what's better. He knew that he would find. So he questioned and sought for answers to this disease. He saw that their pride kept the rest from considering what made them clean. For they did not know. Surely proved the sinister truth So he tried to convince the surrounding community To save more lives, change the world in time But the harder he tried, the more they rejected him And dignity cried as he was dejected They're blind by pride was mine by pride. When you touch the dead, are your hands purified? Are your hands cleansed? Can you believe it? Will you not receive it? You must regard what you Regard what you can't see Secret on his breath
what you can't see. You must regard what you can't see.